Here we go. It's the System Failure Podcast number 18. Coming to you live high above Congress Street. How are we doing this week, Nate? Hey, Brian. I'm doing excellent as usual. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Well, we missed a week of the podcast. Mm. Uh, Well, I was out in Pittsburgh uh, watching football and playing Magic the Gathering. So, uh, you know, our listeners will have to, our our devoted listener base will have to forgive us for that one. (laughs) Yeah, all three of them or however many people are out there listening. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, how was the Berg? I uh, usually had quite a um, good time whenever, uh, well, the one time I went to Pittsburgh, I went there to see some Bruins hockey. Had an unbelievable time. Um, It really is like a blue-collar lunch pail city. Has a great vibe and spirit about it. Um, I'm sure you found the same. Yeah, well, I mean, just flying in, it's kind of a cool-looking city. Um, there's just lots of little hills and stuff, and, like, you know, it's uh, it's the banks of the three rivers, and there's tons of bridges, and uh, it just kind of has a cool look to it. Uh, all the bridges have lights and stuff. And, you know, I came in on Thursday. I instantly went to the Patriots-Steelers game over at Akrasher Stadium. There was, like, 66,000 people. Uh, the Patriots beat uh, the Steelers in a stunning upset. Uh, the Yinzers were deeply incensed. I mean, of the 66,000 people, there was like 500 Patriots fans who were all delighted and congregating in like the hallways and whatnot. And uh, man, it was like incredible. And uh, and then I was also, I was going to this Magic the Gathering tournament, <laughs> uh, eternal weekend. Uh, there was like a thousand people. Um, your boy went, well, I mean, prizes paid out to a top 128. And so, I mean, I went seven and four and got 117th for 125 doll hairs um i mean it was pretty cool i mean i was playing it was just like a two-day tournament and on day two i went zero and two and if i had just gotten like a dub there it would have been more like you know top 32 uh but uh it was an exciting tournament i you know i'm motivated to do better uh i mean it was I mean, it really is pretty dramatic playing in a high-level tournament with a lot of people. Like, the later rounds, there's a lot on the line with, like, every single decision that you have to make. And so, uh, it's very, it's a lot of drama. It's kind of like watching football, uh, but different. Uh, so, you know, it was uh, very enjoyable. Um, and was this the largest Magic tournament that you have, uh, so far in your career, attended? Uh, yeah, I did get, like, second at a 300-person tournament, like, 10 years ago. And that was pretty cool. And that's in, like, a big event. And, uh, you know, this one obviously kicked that tournament's butt. Um, I don't know how many, like, thousand-person Magic tournaments there have been in the history of Magic the Gathering, but it can't be more than, like, 20. And so, you know, all in all, it was, like, a pretty darn big event. I mean, the format is kind of having, like, a resurgence. Magic went through, like, during the COVID, you know, Money Printer Go Burr days, uh, the price of Magic the Gathering cards, like, skyrocketed. Uh, People were just pouring all their, you know, Biden bucks into it, I guess, or I don't know what it was exactly. But, I mean, the cost of everything skyrocketed then. And so the price of cards and whatnot is kind of going down. And, uh, I don't know, people are actually playing with the cards and not just, like, hoarding them uh, for financial speculation. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, my Magic the Gathering deck <laughs> cost like four and a half grand, the one I was playing with. Wow. I, I guess you could say it's an expensive hobby. Although, I mean, I can't really imagine the value of like my cards going down, especially in the long term. I mean, they're just like, like, like people try, there's these Chinese knockoffs of Magic the Gathering cards and they're just completely different. Like even the new Magic cards, like the, just the card stock is different from what they used to be. And you like can't recreate these original Magic the Gathering cards that came out like in 1995 or whatever. And uh, anyway, uh, it was pretty darn exciting. Uh, I mean, I talked about it before 
when we went to Nashville, but like traveling is the best. I mean, Portland, Maine does kind of stink. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's not a lot of crime and there's not a lot of traffic and it's on the coast. So, I mean, that's all cool. But I mean, I don't, there's not that much to recommend this crazy place. <laughs> it's a pretty small economy outside of hospitality and tourism and uh, commercial fishing. And we also have a lot of imports, um, oil imports. I understand that we, um, that the volume of oil that come, arrives in Portland Harbor is greater than that that arrives in Boston. But uh, if you're not in those industries, it can be hard to find work here. Well, I was talking to my Uber driver, and he was saying that he makes like $100,000 a year. I mean, he does work uh, 60 or 70 hours a week. But the Uber rides down there just pay more. He's saying he's making like $50 an hour or so. I mean, up here, it's pretty brutal. But there's just like a lot more people and the rents are lower down there too. Mm. I was looking at um, like studio apartments are like $1,000, whereas up here... It's more like eighteen hundred dollars yeah, for a studio. Yeah, Portland's getting to be like New York City and Boston um, in terms of uh, rent prices. Um, but hopefully, there'll be some kind of a turnaround, and all that will come crashing down uh, at some point in the future. Well, just compared to my trip to Nashville, I would say the trip to Pittsburgh was much more exciting, and it's definitely uh, it seems to be more my kind of city, uh, Pittsburgh. And so, yeah, it was a great time. Um, I think every lad at some point in their uh, sports career has to choose between basketball and hockey for their winter sport. And, of course, uh, I'm all in on hockey. And so I like the two cities that have no NBA, only NHL. And then also they have a football team and also they have a baseball team. It's Pittsburgh and Tampa. Love that setup. <laughs> it's the worst if you have a city like Orlando where there's only a basketball team and no other major sports. Um, but the inverse of that where you've got no basketball concern to take up precious time on the breathless 24-hour sports news cycle and call-in shows in the morning that if you just have your baseball your football and your hockey concerns that matches my three in my three professional sports that i'm most interested in so i like that about pittsburgh too um so just a question about this tournament um i remember when you were went to play second at that one tournament in worcester um years ago they had like a live feed and like announcers like you would see on football like the football game was that the case with the tournament down in pittsburgh they did wow i could have so i could have tuned in and checked it out huh yeah well uh i did not get any on-camera matches uh man i had to i had to get to like the top two of uh that other tournament to get on camera yeah <laughs> it helps if you're a more popular name but i guess i'm working on it you know the youtube channel uh is up to like 85 subscribers nice all right so, that's something uh, yeah um i remember tweeting at the announcers during the tournament the aforementioned tournament in worcester and telling them telling them that brian not was coming for that number one spot and we wanted to see brian on there but again they didn't put you on to the finals even though they read the tweets on the air they didn't uh they didn't put your game on until you were like in the final you know contest yeah well you got gabriel nasif who's kind of like a big name in the magic the gathering circuit never uh, heard of him ta zero talking about me and uh getting him to believe that there's a, a big following for yours truly so <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, I thought you were. I thought you were going to say this was your opponent versus he was the announcer. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> I was wanting to disrespect your opponent. Um, and um, the other thing you, you mentioned there is um, the inflating price of magic cards, um, which makes me think a little bit of modern monetary theory, which is an idea I've been kicking around like a soccer ball lately. The idea here is that when the government prints money. Um, and uses it to buy things that are limited in value, like they're going to mine a certain amount of silver, but there's only so much silver in the mines, or assets that are limited. Um, if, if the government is giving people money to buy that, that's not 
uh, that's going to cause a crazy inflation. But things that are unlimited, like, for example, number of babysitting hours, you know, services rendered, or number of elder care hours. Eggs. Yeah, anything with this, anything where the the, the supply uh, is, is not constrained, um, the, the idea behind MMT, as I understand it, is that you're not going to end up with an inflation under those circumstances. So when there's a lot, when there's a lot of ditches that need to be dug, or when there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, it makes sense to have government step in and um, print the money to pay for those things um, because you're expanding the economy at the same rate that you're expanding the money supply when you do that. Um, now, uh, the banking interests do not want us printing money without – they want to make sure we don't print money out of thin air like uh, Honest Abe Lincoln did during the Civil War because they want to sell us our money as a, as a private business. You know, so, so they want to make sure that all the governments of the world borrow money from their rich people to print money instead – you know some combination of borrowing from the rich and taxing everyone up. The idea that the wealthy are always the, the idea that comes from the most powerful, you know, most wealthy sectors of our country is that you, you don't, you, you have to, you, they would prefer that rather than to, to cut slash taxes to the bone and then have the government borrow from the rich and then the rich get interest versus having the money taxed away from them. Um, but I think the reality is, or at least in the domain of um, resources that are not like magic cards that are infinitely renewable, that, um, that that's just sort of a fable or a myth that we live by that keeps the, that keeps the structure of the pyramid where you pay the, you know, you pay the, the level above you on the pyramid, you have to pay them tribute. It keeps that pyramid alive so anyway just a funny comment that your your um your comment about the ever inflating price of magic cards made me think of well uh, i mean there is just is a lot of religion about economics uh your boy yeah. um the uh the, the socialist professor there uh professor richard wolf yeah 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 uh has gone on about it it's just i mean everyone's like opinion about marxism well we've talked about it a bunch but yeah there's just this weird opinion about marxism that yeah, just acknowledging the idea that society is going to collapse under its own weight when i don't know like if you just said that to anyone like who would disagree at this point <laughs> yeah yeah and then there's also the thing where it's not it's not that we want people to understand about marxism and um and we don't want people, we want and, and want we want people to weigh carefully the the arguments to be found therein versus the orthodox arguments of our. We want people to not learn about Marxism. It's, it's like the Black Bible. You shouldn't even open the book. You know, you might end up with a political with a intellectual contagion that spreads from person to person like a disease does helplessly. And you know, we don't want that to happen. So you must. You must never crack a Karl Marx book, or you will not be assigned to read that book in high school or college. Any, any of Marx's work in high school or college, because we just want to treat it like the Black Bible, where it's a you don't you don't want to consort with the devil at all. So anyway, very interesting to notice these things yeah. in our society. Well, this idea that we should just accept like our inflation of like five to ten percent a year is like completely insane. At least on you know all the things that are not limited, as you say. And so, I mean, I guess you see it on big screen TVs. But like the price of like eggs and soda and uh, most things, I mean these things just get easier and easier to mass produce, right? Mm. And uh, it's just insane that prices are going up, uh, yeah, like clothes and whatnot. It is just uh, there's a big religion about it, 
Uh, and yeah, you just start to notice it, uh, especially when you talk about Karl Marx. Within within the capitalist system, there are two major wings, right? There's the industrial capitalists, the people who are building factories and trying to build big, ever bigger factories and capture the benefits of economies of scale so that good the price of goods steadily comes down. And then you have the finance capital who are have situated themselves at the peak of the pyramid and who use the symbolism of the ancient Egyptian religion uh, to uh, to mark their uh, to is their calling card you know the the unfinished pyramid the eye of horus you know the things you see at the back of the dollar bill um these guys want they want a certain amount of inflation every year so that you don't just hold your cash they if you hold your cash and your if you hold you put your cash in your mattress the value of it loses you know three four percent every year so then you're forced to invest it using their crazy investment banks and uh, that's and then they can make more money off of you uh, so it really is a, it's a wild scam and yeah the paradigm you imagine just saving your money but having it gradually over time become more and more valuable I mean that would be that would be a totally different paradigm than the one we live in but this is considered to be the one and only way that we should live and. Anyone who disagrees, especially powerful people who run other foreign countries, tend to find their countries bombed into oblivion if they don't subscribe to this orthodoxy. Um, what is the name of the general who talked about, in the wake of 9-11, who talked about the nine countries that the U.S. was going to have to invade? Um, what was the name of that? I'm gonna have, I can't remember now. It's a famous thing. We'll add it to the hang, show notes. Let's just look it up here. Okay. So the guy we're thinking of is General Wesley Clark. Um, and uh, Wesley Clark, and I'm reading here from the internet now, a former commander of NATO's forces in Europe, Clark claims he met a senior military officer in Washington in November 2001 who told him the Bush administration was planning to attack Iraq first before taking action against Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Iran, Somalia, and Sudan. Um, So that just goes to show you what happens when uh, countries don't want to participate in the central bank regime that rules so much of the world these days has just a few outposts out there like North Korea and these people are um, they're cut off from the rest of the world um, but um, but yeah that's what I think is happening I, I, I think that the whole thing is we believe you, know, you people who believe in religions or myths they don't think of those things as religions or myth they think of those things as bedrock reality that anyone can anyone can see and we just live in this regime or this paradigm of Three, four, five percent inflation every year, and a certain we have a when inflation gets too hot, we punish the working class by raising rates and looking for a certain unemployment rate. Um, we we target um, we target uh, inflation, unemployment, and interest rates. So those are the three rates that the Federal Reserve manages. And uh, I and when you I think you could have a uh, you could have money creation as a public utility like the. Bank of North Dakota, which is a publicly owned bank that the North Dakotans run and have run for a hundred years now, and that thing that 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 bank handles a lot of the money creation and other um, monetary needs that the North Dakotans have, and no Republican or Democrat ever dares to interfere with it politically because everyone in North Dakota loves that bank. So anyway. That all came from your story of magic card inflation. It makes me think of the religion under which we are ruled. Um, we don't think of the, this being the best way that anyone ought to, that anyone can live, and we should never consider living any other way. That's the way that, that that's the that's the religion of our of our time. It's the it's the medium we're all swimming in. Um, well, it is funny just like how much do we talk about like Ukraine, Israel? But I mean, how long has America been involved in Syria? It's just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least 10 or 15 years and uh, yeah 
Well, I think there's a great uh, conflict going on in the in the broader Middle East, and that has to involve oil pipelines. And I think that um, the Israel, America, Saudi Arabia axis wants to have oil that goes that um, is pumped th- uh, through the ports and the Medit- through Mediterranean ports onto container ships um, from the Middle East and move to the world markets from there. But there's the Russians and the Iranians. Um, want to have oil pumped not uh, not by sea but over land through Turkey and uh, Syria, of course, is the is the hot spot where all of this conflict is taking place. So you've got a, a collision of um, American and Israeli and Saudi interests in Syria against um, Russian and Iranian interests. But I feel like lately the Saudis are flipping sides. We're kind of losing the Saudis <laughs> <Yeah>. here <laughs> uh, because, well, I mean, the way we run things is completely crazy. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah, yeah. that uh, I mean, I think Israel and the United States are pretty deeply embedded to each other, but Saudi Arabia is like a mercenary and they just need to sell their oil and they can tell, you know, which way the wind is blowing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, well, they probably, I mean, just the way we talk about Ukraine all the time over here, they probably talk about Syria, like, a lot, like, in Iran and Russia, because it's, like, a crazy transgression over there, and very close to them, and important to what what they're doing. Yep. (laughs) All right, well, this was some great preamble, Brian, um, but I understand you have a few uh, other topics besides just Pittsburgh to bring up on the pod today. Uh, yeah, well, I guess to continue, well, I'll sort of segue it here. But, uh, well, just going to Pittsburgh and was talking about how Portland stinks. Well, you know, my lease here expires at the end of April, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, I don't know. I work for AAA, and the way AAA works is that Pittsburgh is connected to, uh, it's like Maine, Pennsylvania, Texas, Alabama, and California are sort of the subsect of AAA that I work within. And so I could relatively easily get a job in Pittsburgh. And I don't know. Well, I think, I don't know. I think I hate living in Portland. But, well, my mission here is to, I've come on here and talked about how many weeks it's been since I smoked the weed Mm, and whatnot. So my new mission is to come on here (laughs) and talk about how long it's been since I looked at pornography. So right now I'm at about... 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> well that's not a great streak but i'm sure you could cobble together a few more um uh, days than that i mean it would be ideal if i could make it work in portland like right now it's like my job to like you know make things work for the contractors who work for AAA, who do the roadside assistance which involves a lot of wine and dining of them which is relatively cushy you might say uh, and if I go to Pittsburgh, I'll have to accept some other kind of job that's probably a bit more uh, grunt-like, although, I don't know, it's just like handling like insurance claims isn't really that hard, you know, it's pretty easy and uh, not stressful. Dealing with these contractors, I mean, I guess some of them are ornery and crazy, and that can be stressful, and uh, there's all these... AAA is always like effing with shit. You think it would be easy to like run like a roadside assistance network, but it's like crazy from from the bottom up. Just like the, the contractors aren't even like paid reliably if they're not going in there and checking their statements. Like there's like all kinds of problems and whatnot. It's not at all simple. Like like Uber is pretty straightforward. You know, you just run the call. They tell you how much you're gonna get paid, and that's that. There's no there's no question about how much mm-hmm. you're you're being paid. But that's just not how it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Anyway. So AAA is a creaking, wheezing machine, is it, with a lot of issues and errors? Uh, yeah, well, it's like this uh, this ship you got to keep running, and the hull is leaking and whatnot, and you got to patch it up here, and it requires all kinds of attention, and that's like my job is to deal with the problems that come up. But uh, on the other hand, a lot of it is wine and dining these contractors, which is nice. And, but anyway, so... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can like make it like work here in Portland or whatnot. Or uh, it is sad. I don't know if like if I move to Pittsburgh, if it would just be like depressing to live in Pittsburgh in a much nicer city. Although there is like the working class vibe on what you described before. I feel like if uh, I can't stand living here in you know four or five months or by the end of April, I'm definitely moving. But uh, I guess I have to try to really give it a fair shot here, and so. The plan is, <laughs> is to come in here and uh, I'll provide the weekly updates as to where, you know, my, you know, time since pornography watched. Well, how does pornography relate to a potential move to, to move to the Berg? Well, because I think if you like, uh, well, pornography like undermines, uh, you know, in uh, from an Asian perspective, you might say like you're leaking out your jing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're like you're burning your jing on this futile endeavor. Uh, as opposed to accomplishing like uh, what you're trying to uh, like you, you're you're undermining your testosterone or uh, uh, I mean uh, you're you're making yourself weak you're taking your life essence and shooting it out your dick right uh, <laughs> yeah definitely well um, you remember the Palantir from Lord of the Rings the the crystal ball which Sauron gazes Sauron gazes into and thus falls under the sway of the evil dark lord Sauron right. yeah that's how I feel about the Pornog man it's just like that crazy looking stone um, the show stone that Sauron has like uh, it's tempting it, it you you're like there's nothing more interesting than the, what the contents of that stone can show you but gazing into to it is uh is you can never recover it corrupts your soul gradually but surely um and uh so yeah i man it really is um it yeah it's really it's really detrimental i think to the just your endocrine system whatever the whatever the the parts of your body that secrete the hormones and like your whole personality is a result of this very delicate chemical balance and i think that uh the balance is thrown off like is like swamped like a rogue wave swamping a cruise ship (laughs) with with this uh with the pornography yeah i mean part of the thing about smoking the weed is well, I feel like it's detrimental at a philosophical level just because it just it changes like how you get your validation uh and so I mean the opening mind aspect of it is certainly a thing, but there is this thing where well, it's useful in that you can just be miserable all the day all day and you can like you know well like i'll I'll do this run or whatever, and I'll just smoke the weed later. Uh, but like, it just changes your philosophical approach to life. It really, it gets you at a deep level, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Well, so I think, um, the weed and pornography are greatly analogous, um, in the sense that, well, in the sense you just said, of course. Um, but I think that if they're an occasional treat, they're not going to harm you. But when it becomes, when you organize your life around those dopamine hits, you really will end up in a hellish place worthy of Dante himself. Um, it's yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I have spent I spent a long time or like I like if I had to do something that wasn't smoking the weed, I would be very cranky. You you really you can hold on to like sunset, you know, four or five six o'clock to smoke. But if you have and you, you have that great thing to look forward to at the end of every day, um, it it in short it, it um weed like the pornography, it can become the star by which you're navigating your boat. And when that happens, you are truly truly fucked. It's the worst. Um, and um. 
So yeah, I think that uh, I think that moving to Pittsburgh and and um, trying to avoid the pornography as much as you can avoid crashing your rocks, um, as much as you can avoid being attracted by the call of the sirens uh, on the P hub and crashing your boat on their rocks, uh, you're going to be the better for it. Um, I moved myself. Um, grew, obviously, we both grew up in Maine. I moved to Florida after high school for college. Was down there for eight years. Met some of the best people. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't have traded for anything. Like even though Florida is a crazy place, um, I it was really good to get away from home and move to a new location. It was a huge growing experience for me. I would recommend it for you any day of the week. Um, and then, and then, furthermore, I moved back to Maine in two thousand, oh, the summer of two thousand and ten, and at that time, Portland, the scene in Portland was exciting. There was a lot of really good bars and clubs, and we got to know the people at the various spots, and we would figure out which places were cool, which ones were not. You know, which bar is cool, which bar the cool people are going to, kind of, you know, what what the hot spot is, kind of in the way that fashion changes. Um, no one person gets to dictate the direction it heads in, but if you have your finger on the pulse, you can figure it out. Um, and I would say that Portland went, underwent a golden era um, is, from my perspective, and that lasted right up until the 2020 during COVID. Uh, I remember uh, Trace and I, tr- my lovely fiance Tracy and I found a speakeasy. You came a couple of times, I think. Uh, essentially, all the bars and restaurants were shut down, so there was impromptu bars popping up. And, uh, and this one, it was it, the, the store was a frame shop, like it was just an innocuous business. But in the basement, the owner let us use it for our parties. And for a while, we were the cool people in Portland. And then um, I remember LFK, one of, the bar, one of the local bars, became the cool spot. But uh, it, it, since the real estate disaster here, the, the, the jacking up of rents for all of the people who have rem- jobs in Portland and in New York, all the people who have jobs in Boston and New York moved to Portland uh, it, it, during the COVID era, trying to get away from that, some of that congestion where people are stacked too too much on top of each other. Blew the rents out here, and uh, so now we're seeing all the coffee shops close, all the bars, all the bars that were here from 2010 to 2020 are gone now. Um, Rivalries, our favorite spot for watching the Patriots, used to be popping. It used to say on the Bills website that this was the place for Bills fans to converge, who were you know non-local, who were living in Maine, to watch their weekly you know weekly Bills play football. And it was great. We knew the same people. You know, we used to start to establish a poor with the wait staff, and it well, was awesome. Well, they had these Bud Light mini pitchers for five fifty, <laughs> yeah, and really. that's that's just the kind of thing that never happens anymore. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah the, the restaurant and bar scene is really uh, it changed with the increasing rents, and uh, it, it definitely the vibe of the city has changed. Uh, yeah. All the kids have gone. In other words, um, LFK is not cool anymore, uh, as we found out a couple weeks back when the captain was here. Um, it's just uh, it's 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 sad that the, the few surviving bars aren't the same as mentioned. The all the restaurants are gone. Just all the old spots have just been eliminated. Like, like the bankers blowing out all the rents uh, nationwide, and and then the the desirability of port- we're always in the top ten most desirable cities to live in when the when you know various magazines, travel mags, and whatnot print up their lists. That the the combination of the bankers. And the desirability of Portland has just made it so that no one who's young can live here. And I got to think Pittsburgh is not that way, but you're going to have to go and find out. It may be just as depressing there as here. Um, and I know they have the, the Pornhub in Pittsburgh, <laughs> but um, I really think you should give it a try. We'll have to do this podcast um, via the internet, but you know that's never been more possible than it is in this day and age. Yeah, well... Um 
Um, well, I mean, there's the option of just staying in Portland and traveling a lot, or, you know, I could move to Pittsburgh with Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, I'll be from Pistol Bangin' where them shooters is. That's what Wiz Khalifa <laughs> says. Uh, I guess another news, uh, well, Alex Jones has been freed, uh, yeah. uh, from the, on the Twitter. It's funny because, I mean, everyone knows that Alex Jones, you know, said some shit about Sandy Hook being some kind of government setup. And, but what he was actually banned for, though, was for confronting Mark Rubio uh, at a hearing, ironically, with, like, Twitter and Facebook about, like, how foreign interference and basically the content that they were allowing. And so Alex Jones is freed. And so, I don't know, like, I guess a lot of people, like, hate Alex Jones. But it is funny, like, Alex Jones did used to be a champion of the left, uh, you know, during, like, the George Bush years after 9-11. I mean, the dude, like, predicted that 9-11 was going to happen. You, yeah. you can find the clips there. It's crazy. And he also predicted what was going to happen with the mask mandates and this business in the Ukraine as well. And, man, well, if you watch that uh, that Waking Life movie, uh, I mean, Alex Jones is in there. Oh, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, Waking Life, great film. Shout, shout out to Julie for first showing us Waking Life. <laughs> And um, the, that was outstanding. Yeah, that was. It was interesting that he was in in waking. I forgot about that component. Yeah, and so you know, I guess Alex Jones seems like a scary guy. Um, I mean, apparently he had some incident in his youth where he got like uh, his head smashed into some cement. Like someone like head like did a, like a, the wrestling move where you drop someone on their head basically onto some cement. And so maybe that explains why Alex Jones is a little crazy. But, uh, man, I've always basically thought that Alex Jones is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree. Um, he clearly is, he's clearly like a little off. Um, his personality is larger than life. I'll never forget the clip of um, Joey Diaz being on his InfoWars show. And, like, Joey Diaz is another crazy person. And so they were just, like, they, they were just bouncing off of each other. And um, the their wave function, their harmonic resonance was just stacking higher and higher until it just became hilarious. Um, but Alex Jones has been right about a shocking amount of stuff in his time, and I will always think fondly of Mr. Jones for his um, his uh, expose on Bohemian Grove from the early two thousands. Um, oh yeah, where he snuck onto um, this place where you know this place is uh, something that Reagan and Nixon have acknowledged in their time. Bohemian Grove, where rich people go to act out pagan ceremonies, and sure enough, if you can find this, inter- the, you can find his clip. On the internet, searching for it on DuckDuckGo might be a good place to start because you won't find it on YouTube. But sure enough, there's a huge wooden effigy of a pagan god. Well, and it's a giant owl statue, and they've got like this burning effigy in yeah. front of it. And they're like <laughs> chanting. It really it evokes some um, eyes wide shut. The um, that film that Stanley Kubrick produced and uh, you know, directed, and that came out in 2001 with Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, that shows what rich people are up to behind closed doors. <laughs> Well, uh, you gotta love the commitment to free speech by Elon Musk. Um, and, well, I guess I have been seeing articles saying that advertisers are trickling back to X um, after Elon Musk's, uh, you know, anti-Semitic retweet or whatever, which we talked about last time. And I think... Um, I mean, maybe you're out on Alex Jones right now, uh, you the listener, but well when the next shocking scandal happens 
I mean, like Twitter's going to be in place. They're not going to, you know, be able to say the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. I mean, like Hunter Biden, there's the whole the whole thing's happening right now. Like they're they're actually having like you know judicial hearings and whatnot, and uh, it's just going to be important to have these things in place uh, going into this next election year when you know our reptilian overlords are going to try to pull some shit. Um, yeah. Yes, indeed. I um, share your excitement. Um, it's interesting that one of those major social media networks has broken ranks and will no longer um, follow the. Uh, it will no longer blindly follow what the State Department or what law enforcement, uh, the upper echelons of law enforcement structure in this country, want them to publish. Um, or they won't suppress what they're ordered to suppress by government. And so that's made me pretty excited about using Twitter versus Reddit. Um, and um, one thing I've noticed about Reddit, interesting, like, I, I guess I'm going to have to abandon Reddit. I, I don't know. It's just becoming, it's, you can see it's happening again as the, as the calendar, as the clock ticks closer to the calendar year 2024. You can just see, just like it did in 2020 and 2016, Reddit is just being besieged. And um, one of the interesting trends I've noticed in the past couple of weeks or so is this business of the vibe session. Um, in other words, there's all manner of media outlets are putting out this information that the economy is great if you look at GDP and unemployment and lowering inflation, and that this is all. And then this is a um, this is a result of Bidenomics, and we should be very excited about the recession. Uh, very excited about the economy. And um, the, the, the term I've seen popping up online is the vibe session where people feel everyone feels very negatively about the economy and that that's just vibes and that really people are stupid for not liking the economy. But I mean, it's like the, the if you go to the grocery, if you look, if you're under 35 and you don't already have a house, if you, if you are any age and you don't already have a house, you won't be getting one. Um, rent prices are up in are up to a ridiculous degree. And everyone knows that to basic things like your um, your insurance or your groceries are the, the price of that is never coming down to pre-covid levels um, it's like everyone is aware that the economy is rotten and it's in and it's wild to see all this gaslighting um, trying to convince us that if we feel poorly about the economy it's just based on vibes and nothing else as if gdp is a, like gdp is a heavily politicized figure that's meant to it's linked to um it's linked to like interest rates and it's also uh linked to um entitlement payments and so there's a huge political incentive to understate gdp as much as possible that's why and then uh, excuse me under understate inflation and overstate gdp so it's why rents are included in, in like it's like if you own a house the rent you could charge for that house is called imputed rent and that is all captured as part of gdp if your credit card rate goes from 19 percent to 26 percent and the credit card company makes more money off of you that's that's an increase of gdp if uh your apartment complex jacks up your rent and makes you pay more every month just to have the same roof over your head that's an increase in gdp you can see how fraudulent the these economic figures are and um and i've just noticed uh, specifically on um this subreddit r slash fluent in finance um the other another one r slash economics and an, even another one r slash out of the loop um are just become heavily controlled to where you can't even believe the opinions you're seeing on there get this i saw on r slash out of the loop a defense of seed oils right 
uh, the question was, what's the deal? Why, why is everyone out on seed oils all of a sudden? And like the top comment was because that it's a fringe conspiracy that <laughs> seed oils are bad for you. I was like, what? It's the all right, man. Yeah. It's like, I couldn't believe it. I just was like, everyone knows that seed oils are just, we're look, are a disaster. Um, seed oils meaning things like, um, I can't believe it's Canola not butter. Oil. Yeah. Like, uh, like all of this, like, um, I, uh, I just, it's absolutely, uh, even, um, partially hydrogen vegetable oils, even, um, uh, corn syrup, you know, like, uh, the, the, the sugar from corns, uh, the, that's replaced all the regular sugar in all of our soda since the early nineties or the vegetable oil that the fries at McDonald's are cooked in versus the beef tallow that they had prior to 1991. Um, it's just, I couldn't believe it. Um, so it really is interesting to see Reddit fall Reddit hurtling towards the initial public offering as they are, um, just having these insane, these insane posts that I just I just have to blink my eyes, and so I'm excited that at least one of these so big social media giants is putting up the middle finger to the establishment, and so that's why I doubled down. I decided to actually pay for Twitter, and so I have the sixteen dollar month subscription, which is you know I just kind of want to support Twitter because they won't they're going to find crazy things on Twitter, but at least they're not going to toe the party line and parrot an orthodoxy that we all know is a fraudulent one. Well, the uh, the hyper normalization is more transparent than grandma's underpants, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, yes. Um, <laughs> it sure well, is. And you can just see why, like if you're an advertiser, uh, I mean, what are you going to do? Like advertise on the things that everyone knows is like false? I mean, I think it's pretty widely, I mean, just like Pfizer supports CNN. I mean, not because it makes them money, but so they can control the content, right? I mean, that's just the kind of advertising that goes on, like on the, the so-called mainstream networks. And so, uh, I mean, I think Elon Musk, he's just got his foot crammed in the door there. So they can't, I mean, just what are you going to do uh, if you want people actually engaging and not, you know, uh, manufactured nonsense, then, I mean, what, what choice do you have? It's perfect. You know that old um, gif of um, Jerry Seinfeld in the movie theater throwing up his hands in disgust and leaving the theater? Yeah. With each person that finally says, you know what? I'm being gaslit by, it used to be just the mainstream news, but an online, like in 2012, but online was like safe. But now that all the social media giants uh, are gaslighting people, every day more and more people wake up and the more people that throw their hands up like Seinfeld in disgust and say, you know what? I, I'm not going, I'm not going to just believe, I, I'm not, I, I have to go to where, it, it, there may be crazy things being said but at least I'm not being, you know, gaslit to an obvious degree to believe something like seed oils are perfectly fine and that it's a fringe conspiracy to notice that seed oils are catastrophic for your health. With each person that does that, that's a bigger, the advertising base for people who value free speech grows and the companies are going to have to respond to that. If it becomes popular, if Twitter, if Twitter wins this, if, if more, it's going to get to the point, I predict that social media companies are going to have to be more like Twitter or lose their advertisers. So if if we can reach a tipping point, if we can really slowly shift to where people would rather would rather wade through crazy conspiracy theories and come to their own conclusions versus being told something that's obviously not true, then um, you know maybe Elon Musk will be eventually vindicated. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Musk exactly, but I'm excited that I'm excited to give that Twitter exists as a place where as an alternative and I'm excited to be on Spotify at least for now because that's where you can hear the JRE you know they don't they won't supposedly they won't um, censor um, the J the Joe Rogan experience and so I'm happy to be a Spotify customer for the time being also 
and hopefully more and more people will feel the same over time indeed well i have one last topic for this week and it's another side note on the alchemical journey now you may recall brian we've talked about the alchemical journey a lot the past couple of podcasts um this notion that uh you're really even though you're uh, trimming your sails according to a certain North Star, actually arriving at that North Star is not the real goal. The journey is the important part of life. Um, something that's hard to keep in mind. And I think we've talked about how the hedge maze out behind the Palazzo Pitti in Florence, the Medici's old palace, reflects this this notion. But there's one, there's one um, sense in which the alchemical journey holds true that we haven't talked much about. And that's really the meditative sense. Um, in other words, arriving back at the present moment. Um, you know how easy it is to get distracted by these constructs, the past and the future, the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas future. I mean, how much time have you spent in the shower cringing over the shameful things you may have said in the fourth grade or worrying about something in the future that might be coming your way that never... well the vast majority of things we worry about never actually come to fruition, right? There's um, the, 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 the past and the future. They're not, they're not like real. They're, they're models you create inside your mind. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the real, the goal of meditation is to pop those thought bubbles, you know, stick a pin in and burst those thought bubbles and instead arrive at the present moment. Um, you know, the feeling you get when you hear a particularly, um, provocative, you know, lick from David Gilmore's guitar, or you see a particularly beautiful painting, or something like that. You know, th- that's really that recognition of beauty really brings you back in the present moment. Or you see a beautiful woman on the sidewalk. You know, it brings you back to the present. You forget about all of the future things you're ruminating about, and all of your past humiliations you're still holding on to, or, or maybe you're angry about. And um, that's the goal of meditation. Is that now how you have been a pr- practitioner in some of the Eastern traditions? Um, is that how you view meditation? Like, is that your conception of it? Well, there's this practice like anchoring the breath. Uh, and the way, uh, well, it, it, you basically pay attention to your breathing. Um, I mean, you start by like listening to your nose and then you like listen to your throat and then you listen to both of them and then you. Uh, do like your upper torso and then like uh, diaphragm lower body and like doing this like brings you into the present it like changes the shape of your consciousness in the way like looking at like you know scrolling through like reddit or the the social media is non-stop also definitely affects your consciousness like this affects your consciousness like in a different way and it affects the disposition of your mind in a way that's clearly positive. Yeah, like going up for a nice drive in the country is going to have a positive impact on your consciousness. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and watching um, homeless people battle it out on the sidewalk uh, in a, like a, a no-holds-barred you know, cage match is... Um, Deleterious. Yeah, it's like, woof, depressing, you know, bad for the <laughs> overall consciousness. Yeah. Uh, now, is that specifically a Nagon concept? And can you tell, give us a you know, really brief, um, where does Nagon fit into the history of religious uh, ideas from, the, uh, from Asia? Well, man, I'm uh, no Nagong expert, but basically Nagong is a tradition that is in China. It comes out of Taoism. And it is practicing the internal arts and, um, well, just in our, our Western world, like nobody has this figured out basically. (laughs) 
and uh, there's just a lot of like woo-woo nonsense. I mean, what you need is uh, a lot of discernment to get in there and figure out like what's real and what's not with regard to meditation. Um, and so, I mean, it is about like cultivating chi. It's about how to like actually cultivate chi in a way that is not nonsense and like uh, just isn't woo-woo. Mm. Uh, when you've got it, you know it. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, we have this idea that, um, we have this focus on materialism in our culture. Um, the, the idea is that we are tiny little individuals moving around inside the, inside of a grand creation. Um, and, um, a lot in the, the nature of the state of your consciousness is something we don't, we do, we, we short shrift that concept um, because we want people to buy things, right? If you can convince people that if you can play on their anxieties or make them compare themselves to their neighbors, you know, if you can, in other words, inflaming people's, inflaming people's egos, inflaming people's jealousies and inflaming people's insecurities, inflaming their conceptions of the past, but especially of the future, you can really stimulate that swiping of the card behavior. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we could totally lose sight of the present moment where, like you're, you're if you're looking forward to the next thing you're going to acquire, you're, then you really you, you're not you're 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 totally lost in you're off with the ghost of Christmas future, and you're not here in the present where there's beauty everywhere. Right? We 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 tile over. We don't notice the beauty in the present moment because we're distracted by these visions of the future, and um, this is something the old magical tradition in the European magical tradition now. So we're moving from China back to Europe. What emphasized heavily um, this notion of the archetypical hero's journey, which in a lot of cases is um, more literal, but in the very most basic cases, this idea that the place that you are meant you you you're meant the, the journey takes you back to the place you started with. You you learn that the journey is the thing of value, and the destination is valueless. It's only a navigation tool. And I always think of Paolo Coelho's the book, The Alchemist, the, the whole punchline of that book is that the, the, the young lad who's the protagonist sets off on this long journey. He sees many strange and wonderful things only to find out the thing he was seeking is buried in the backyard of his own home where he started the journey. And that is the idea behind meditation also. Um, I, like the Nagong, I also, when I meditate, it's a lot of focusing on your breathing. And like a, like a, a runaway movie projector my mind starts clattering and projecting these other things that i have to stop get back to the present moment it's very the habit of like just going just being lost in thought it's very hard to break and so meditation is really practicing trying to breathing is a great way to anchor yourself to the present moment is trying to just get back to the present in the sense of the alchemical journey and that really i've really come to regard i i it's much like you know, much like considering the things Alex Jones has to say or taking them seriously or considering the things Karl Marx has to say or taking them seriously, the taking magic seriously is quite off the reservation in our current, our current consumer-driven society. Um, and I forever assumed that that was because magic was a childish conception of reality. It's a childish conception of the state of the universe. But the more you crack history books, the more you realize that there's really two fundamental ways of conceiving of your presence in the universe and one of them is the materialist one the, the christian one the scientific one all the same right we, we should notice that science has a lot of the same hallmarks as christianity it, it has its um 
it has its apocalypse, right? It's looking forward to the to the end times, and those end times are a direct result of some flaw in human character, right? It's the same. It's the same religious story. They've just gone from many gods to zero gods uh, to one god to zero gods, but it's the same, the same, the same fundamental orientation towards reality. Well, now, um, but but the other way of viewing things is that the universe is really something that's going on inside your head, and that. Um, and that we we uh, are, are fundamentally in like the materialist worldview is a fundamental inversion of true reality, and in um in a lot of times and places the tradition of magic wasn't just some ethereal, childish conception of what may or may not be possible. It was the actual political resistance to like the empire, like the Holy Roman Empire. Right, the Holy Roman Empire had everything organized where the rich people were collecting their tribute every month and year and um, and regular peasants were just expected to fall in line and the alternative to that the magical conception was something that people had to be burnt at the stake for and that just like Marx and just like Alex Jones we shouldn't we shouldn't look into magic we shouldn't take it seriously we should um, we should only dismiss it as a childish um, but the Medici of Florence, the Medici's of Florence took magic very seriously. And that's why they laid out their hedge maze the way they did. And uh, I think that it's something that I'm excited to look much more into. Yeah, well, I think uh, it'll probably be increasingly relevant uh, as we move forward into this next election year and whatnot. Uh, I mean, one thing about the nature, well, you have like the establishment media like we talked about versus you know, the X, where there's actual people. And, I mean, uh, increasingly, the establishment's going to have to urge their base to, you know, burn the non-believers at the stake. Mm, uh, yeah. It's going to be the only way to keep the system going forwards. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. There is something about it staying in the present that, uh, I mean, it is... You, you do have to go on that journey to sort of figure out what that means, I guess, is what it is. The journey is about, like, kind of figuring out, like, what it means. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think... <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's a meaty topic uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure us is. to uh, talk about every week. Um, do you recall this old movie with Jim Carrey, Liar, Liar? Uh, who could forget? Yeah, from that's like 1996 or something like that. But the point is, um, Jim Carrey, he has a he can't lie, but he's a lawyer, so he's required to lie. But his vengeful coworker, his boss, pulls him into a meeting with like the guy that runs the law firm. He remember this, and uh, like she wants like his coworker like is aware that Jim Carrey hates this man. And um, so she pulls him into a meeting and then asks in front of everyone, what does, what, well, you were just saying how much you, you know, how much you think of Mr. Allen and Jim Carrey standing there with deers in the headlights look, you know, and, and she's like, well, go on, tell, tell him what you think of him. Yeah. I, I'm going to try to remember the line here, but Jim Carrey's like, he's a pretentious something bastard, a belligerent old fart, a worthless steaming pile of cow dung, figuratively speaking. You know, remember that line? And um, there's like this pregnant silence. Well, the whole boardroom like is like ooh awkward, and um, he starts laughing. The the the, the reaction of the, the the Uber boss is to be like, "That's just what this stuffy stuffy company needs a little irreverence. You're a real card, Reed." And I don't know. That's what I feel about the stodgy old empire we're forced to live under. I think what it needs is a little bit of heresy um, to really, uh, and that's what just what they're trying to prevent uh, with uh, with controlling the social media. They've long controlled the the old guard the old corporate media 
and they're trying to keep their control on lockdown and it's just like when the wheels started coming off the holy roman empire in the 14th century very similar idea where you have all those witch burnings and inquisitions and so yeah we're going to see a lot of uh, we're going to see the warfare over the what is heresy and what's not heresy ramped up to um ramped up to the uh, ramped up to screaming point you know ramped up to a real crazy pitch. Um, so, anyway, exciting stuff. I really, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, just hopefully um, it won't have to be so violent just with their technology that we have. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, our reptilian overlords, they don't like to let progress happen. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. should be quite dramatic. Well, the internet is great. Uh, so, the dissolution of Christendom, the Holy Roman Empire, led first to the Italian Renaissance and then eventually to the Protestant Reformation. And the Italian Renaissance is all about showing everyone showing each other the insides of their head. And that is what I think of the internet. It's like uh, the, the rise of the internet is analogous to the printing press of the, uh, of the late Middle Ages. And it's really a tool for showing for each of us to show the rest of humankind, the insides of our minds. And uh, that's what, uh, when you go to uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican city and you look at Michelangelo's Pieta, which is the statue of Mary holding the broken body of her son, Jesus, you go, wow. And then I think the kid was, I think he was like 21 or something when he carved that. Um, you can really see inside Michelangelo's mind. Or when you go to see the David, you can see, you go to the Academy of fine arts in Florence and look at his David statue. And you go, this was a man who, who was very interested in the naked male form. <laughs> um, but you, you can see, you can see that he sees the same thing you see inside your own mind. Um, it's really something to, it's really something to, there's this constrictor valve. You know, I, I can only articulate my experience to you through words. And it's like, that's allowing you to look through like a keyhole at what I'm seeing. And then the same when you speak and, um, trying and, and uh, trying to exchange traffic through that keyhole is, what the name of the game is when it comes to defeating the evil empire and moving forward into a more humanitarian future. Uh, it sure is. All right. Well, on that note, uh, that probably wraps it up for this week. Eh? Yeah, I think I'm fresh out of topics to, uh, to, to wax ecstatic about. Um, so I will just remind everyone, please send us an email at not at substack.com. That's K and O P P. And, um, let us know what you think of our crazy ideas. Um, and definitely go to, uh, not dot substack.com to read the essay versions of some of these thoughts. All right. We'll see you guys next week. So long everyone. Bye-bye.